One Friday Morning by renowned writer Langston Hughes was published in 1941 and follows Nancy Lee Johnson, a high school artist. Nancy Lee is told she is to receive the Artist Club scholarship to the local art school until the judges realize that she is black. Today, we will be discussing the racism that existed and still exists in the North, some background of Hughes, and the poetic nature of the story. This is Analytical. Hello! Hello, hello! I'm Hannah. And I'm John. And we're your favorite literary nerds. So today we're going to be discussing Langston Hughes's One Friday Morning. Before we get into the story, I think we need to talk a little bit about Hughes's background. So Hughes was a poet, a novelist, and a playwright. He also wrote short stories as we are reading today. A lot of his work did focus on the Deep South and the racism that existed there, but also the racism that existed in the North as well. He was born in Joplin, Missouri, and he moved to Kansas as a young boy, living in both Topeka and Lawrence. He ended up living in New York and was part of the Harlem Renaissance of writing. Langston Hughes is actually born in the town that we live in, so that was pretty interesting, I think. There's a street in after him, and that's about the extent. I don't really think that he was here for long. He didn't write here for sure. He wrote in New York. So, but it's just a little interesting tidbit. He's most known as a poet, I think. I think of Langston Hughes as a poet, and I think that that's just kind of what he is. I don't mean to like categorize the guy, but he didn't, he's not known for his short stories like this one. So I, I asked Hannah actually like, oh, is this like a poem or a short story? She's like, no, it's an actual short story. So I was kind of surprised to hear that. No, whenever you look him up, it says American poet, and he's definitely renowned for his poetry and not as much as short stories, but this is a very good short story, and I think that's where you get a lot of the descriptive language that seems kind of poetic is because he was a poet. Like, him describing the paintings in this are just so beautiful, and you can really see he's definitely a poet. The definite moral I can get from this short story, because I feel like that Langston Hughes wrote this with a moral in mind, was just to kind of demonstrate that racism still existed everywhere, and that if you escaped, somehow escaped from the South, like as a black person in this time, I don't know when he wrote this, but this is kind of the moral of the story, when you escaped, you weren't really free from the society of racism that existed everywhere, because it followed you. And that's kind of what she, she's demonstrating, because her parents moved to the North with the idea of getting away from racism from the South, but they still encountered it in the North. And it wasn't even in her community, but it was, I mean, not like her direct like school community or teachers, because they all supported her. They accepted her. She says that, like the school people accepted her. And she kind of thought the whole community did too, but those people in her community that were in charge of the uh, art contest, they accepted her drawing. And then when finding out the student behind it, they unaccepted it because she was black. Yes, that's a really good point to make. And also there's an interesting paragraph that kind of... I think it would rub some people the wrong way. It says Nancy Lee Johnson was a colored girl a few years out of the South, but seldom did her classmates think of her as colored. And I think that is something that you kind of see a lot where people are like, oh, I, you're too smart to be black. You don't sound black. And that's just something that, you know, people can talk about. And it's also like a form of a microaggression of racism where they don't actually recognize her of her color because it was so seldom mentioned. And the version I read from whatsoproudlywehail.org had some questions at the beginning, and it said, is colorblindness a possible or desirable prospect in America? Like, should we be colorblind, or should we say, I accept your color, and I appreciate your culture, and I think we can live together in harmony with these different cultures we have in America? 
the concept of colorblindness actually is a very interesting one. I first learned about that in a psychology or sociology class. I don't remember. They're both like the same subject almost. I'm not going to get into that. But I learned about this subject and we were talking about it. And obviously the answer is no. Colorblindness is not good. It is very bad. Like it's uh, it's damaging because obviously like we're not the same and we should be able to point out the differences and accept the differences between each other. It's kind of what we're looking for. I'd- we're looking to celebrate each other, not to like put each other on the same like field. Yes, exactly. We should – Celebrate our differences and never judge someone for their differences. Correct. I think it's also interesting we're going to jump to the end. But Miss O'Shea says, I understand your pain. I'm Irish. That also kind of felt a little bit more modern to me where people are like, oh, I have black friends. I can understand your plight. Which you you obviously can't. You cannot understand racism unless you have actually been a discriminated against group. And I Sure, but Irish people have been discriminated against. Yes. Every every group has been discriminated against. I mean, I don't think it's it's unfair. I, I sh- okay, a lot of groups have been discriminated against, especially like I mean, not especially, but obviously like black people in America, especially. But along with that, like other people of like Jewish people, especially Jewish people, especially now actually, a lot of anti-Semitic. I think anti anti Semitism leads the rates in hate crimes in the U.S. currently over all other like religious hate crimes. For religious hate crimes, but, like, yes. race hate crimes yes. are still... Well, I don't know about the statistics behind true. race um, hate crimes. I just think it's interesting that they pointed out, she said, I'm Irish, and, you know, they overcame it, like, the mobs in the cities. But I also feel like since they are white Irish people, eventually people got over it easier for Irish than they maybe would for black people. And so I don't know if it was a apt comparison for the teacher to make. I get that she was trying to emphasize or empathize with the student or with Nancy Lee. It just didn't come off as working for me. Gotcha. And it may not be the same level of, oh, I have black friends, I understand. Because the Irish did get a little, like, mobs and riots, but... I don't know. It still wasn't as bad as lynchings. Uh, correct. And I think – I don't think that was Miss O'Shea's point was to be like, oh, I understand your pain. Like I've been through this before. Like my people have. Like I don't think that was Miss O'Shea's point. Miss O'Shea's point was that America kind of sucks sometimes as it did to my people as it as it does to yours. Like as it does to like other like black people. Okay. I can see that. And they she, do say that she says other Americans don't understand what the stars mean to us. Exactly. That was right after Nancy had said that her speech was going to be about America. And that's when Ms. O'Shea was like, well, crap, I have to, like, tell this kid that America isn't, like, this ideal thing that she has in her mind. Because there's a lot of, like, nationalism in this short story that I thought was really interesting. Earlier on, Nancy is like, this is America, the land of the free, I can do what I want. Like, she's proud to be an American, which I find interesting because... America's not proud to have her. Exactly. But she is still proud to be an American, and I think that's... I don't know. I'm not too about the nationalism stuff, but it's an important feature for a lot of people. That's an interesting thing to bring up. I feel like you do see a lot of immigrants that are very proud to be an American whenever there are some people who are born into America that really recognize its faults whenever these immigrants aren't accepted and that some of the born Americans are like fighting for better rights while other ones are fighting against immigrants' rights. And I think it's a interesting thing where you can criticize America, but some people just don't let you where they're just very against that. Yeah. Nationalism to a fault. I think it is interesting. We always like to talk about colors on this podcast, but whenever Nancy Lee instantly says she wants a blue frame for her picture. So whenever I think of the color blue, I think a little bit of a lighter blue. I think Nancy wanted more of the like royal blue of the flag blue 
But either way, blue is kind of can be a convoluted color because it can represent sadness and kind of like disappointment. And so I think that's a little hint that Hughes gives us that this isn't going to turn out her way she wants. Yeah, that would be a healthy dosing of foreshadowing right there in the story. That's nice. I didn't really pick up on that. I just kind of thought that blue was a nice color, like, and she was real hopeful. I was kind of going, leaning towards the hope of the blue. We've said before, colors can be very, a very duality of colors, and you can have two meanings to them, and I definitely think she was hopeful, and that's why she chose blue, but Hughes was also telling us, like, this isn't going to go her way. This is a sad color. And she wore blue, like, a blue dress the day she was going to be announced, the Friday morning. Title alert. It just ended up not working for her. Yeah. Which is very sad, because she obviously had the best drawing, and they obviously judged it blind. And, like, nowadays, I mean, she still would have gotten it no matter what. If it was a good piece of art, I think it was nice that they judged it blind until they knew who did it and they took the award away, which really is awful. Uh, I agree. And playing off that, throughout the story, there's this sense of, like, foreboding coming. Like, it's just, it feels like something's going to happen. It's not going to be good. And I, I don't know if that's just me knowing, like, the times and, like, me knowing that Nancy is black and, like, in the times and I just, like, know that something is going to happen that is not good. Like, something is going to come up and it's going to be bad. But throughout the story, like, it just, it kind of builds up to, like, the sense of impending doom. I feel like even whenever she first is called to Miss O'Shea's office, she has that tight little knot. She thinks something's wrong, and then we get the good news. But still, you kind of are uneasy the whole time. I'm not sure what words exactly, like, Hughes uses to show us that we're supposed to be uneasy. It just has a sense of uneasiness the whole time. Yeah, he paints a real nice picture of uneasiness. I honestly cannot pick out a single sentence that shows you that uneasiness. I think it's maybe some of the words he uses in the sentences where you're kind of like, something just seems off. I think that goes again to show the poetic nature where he could have used different word choices and made it very hopeful the whole time and then like swept the rug out from under us and blindsided us, but he didn't. He made sure we knew the whole time that something bad was going to happen. I think this is a good sentence to it. Miss O'Shea's calling her to the office had been in the nature of a preparation and a warning. That makes you uneasy because you're like, I don't understand why she would need a warning if she's getting an award. You know, usually if you're getting something and it's supposed to be a surprise award, the teachers don't tell you beforehand unless something bad might happen with it. And this is a note from the narrator and not Nancy Lee's own thought because Nancy Lee had just been told good news. So the narrator is like commenting that it appears as a warning and a uh, preparation, whereas Nancy Lee might not be seeing it as such. I think that's just an interesting little separation we have there. Definitely. I think it is. It just shows uh, the uneasiness the narrator has, even if Nancy doesn't. That just goes to show how the perspective in the story works to further that uneasiness we see throughout the story. Yes, if it was a first-person one, we might not get as much of the uneasiness if it was Nancy saying, I, I, I. Exactly. We would, we would, I think we would just get Nancy's hopefulness and especially her excitement because the next paragraph, when, when she goes home, she's trying to contain her excitement. So I think we would see a lot more of the excitement rather than uneasiness if it was Nancy being the narrator. Yes, I agree. I think you would definitely see that, and then you would get the swept under the rug, absolute shock of the not receiving the award. But since he did choose a third-person perspective, we get the uneasiness the whole time, so the reader's not as surprised by it. So there's a very interesting sentence. Hitch your wagon to a star, Nancy Lee thought, dancing home in the rain. Who were our flag makers? It's kind of on its own. It's after she kind of is reminiscing about the American flag and how many stars there are, and there's no other flag that hasn't many stars. But the who were our flag makers is a very 
interesting question for her to think about. I think it is her thinking as a black woman, who are my flag makers? Because the woman who made the flag, Betsy Ross, was a white woman, made it for white people at the time. It wasn't made for slaves, which black people would have been enslaved at the time the flag was made. And they're still discriminated against in the 1940s when the story was written and taking place. It's just a very interesting perspective that she has. Like, who are my people I can look up to is kind of what I see the question as. Well, that's a really interesting question of representation. I think representation is very important, obviously, and that still is an issue today, and especially during Nancy's time, especially, like, when she can't win a competition, that would have been important representation, I feel like, to, like, work towards, like, equality, but they just kind of said, nah, we'll go to a different school this year. Like, that kind of, like, is what got me. Like, they didn't even just say, oh, we're not doing it this year. Like, oh, like, they didn't even make up an excuse. They just kind of said, oh, this girl was black, so we gave it to a different school. They just straight up said, like, hey, this is the reason. We're sorry that you didn't tell us. They, they don't even, like, apologize. They, they're, they're like, oh, we, we wish we would have known this beforehand so we would have had the chance to avoid this. Which is awful. They were it's like, absolutely awful. We yes. wanted to avoid the awkwardness for everyone, and I wish you would have told us before that yeah, she was black. Which exactly. is awful. Like, they shouldn't have to know her color to give her an award. Correct. I think it is a very interesting thing, too, when you said representation matters. Whenever Nancy is talking about the speech she wants to give, she says, Through me to my people, the colored people of the city, who sometimes are discouraged and bewildered, thinking that color and poverty are against them. And so she accepted, she was going to accept the award for all of them. She was ready to be that flag maker for them and lead the way. And it's just so awful that they just took it from her because she was black. Also in her speech is where she gets to the, I was not sure how you would receive me, but she says he received me well. And I think that especially hurts, like reading it and knowing that she doesn't get the the award after all. Like she was so happy. So like, so, I don't know, just. She felt welcomed. She felt wanted and accepted. Exactly. And she just gets all that yanked out from under her just because these people on the art committee suck. Going in with that, I don't know how much it's the art committee as much as the local art school has said we've never had a colored student and they don't want it to start now. Historically, they say the South was more segregated than the North, but Nancy was living in the North now and it still shows that they were deeply segregated and weren't going to let Nancy into an art school because she was black. Well, Nancy even said, uh, or I guess not Nancy, but the narrator maybe says that Nancy lives in a black community. So obviously things are segregated. Yes, and it doesn't actually say where this takes place just in the North, but I can think of it if from the Hughes perspective of writing it, she might actually be in Harlem and goes to a different school in one of the other New York suburbs or boroughs and sees other white students, and they're not all just black students in her school. It does seem like she goes to an integrated school, and it does say later on that there was a student who was a very good athlete, and they rallied behind him, but they don't rally behind her with her art because it isn't just the school she goes to, it's the community as a whole. I think that the location of the story explicitly doesn't matter because, well, we're not told by Hughes. And I think the point of the story wasn't like, oh, like this specific city sucks. It was, hey, the whole North as a whole, the system is not working. The system like needs working. It needs correction. It really was speaking out against everything as a whole and not just like one city. And I think that's why he was so unspecific about it. He could have easily said this was Harlem or anywhere else in New York City or just any other random old state up North. But he specifically just said they moved North or I guess unspecifically said they moved North. Because it doesn't matter where in the north it is. It just matters that it was north, not south. Especially deep south. He does make that point that they lived in the deep south beforehand. Yeah. 
it just was supposed to show that it, did, it didn't matter. The North was broken just as the South was. That's what I kind of took from that. No, I can agree with that. I was just trying to place it for myself maybe a little bit and just say, oh, I know how Harlem was. So I, can, I know from like history and other readings how Harlem was, which Harlem was very accepting of black people. The Harlem Renaissance, a lot of amazing black creators came out of Harlem. Langston Hughes being one of the leaders of the Harlem Renaissance and, you know, all the jazz age and everything else. There's just a lot of amazing art from that time. It is kind of interesting to me how Miss O'Shea says they're going to pull out of the contest entirely, kind of as her own, like, protest, which I think is a very interesting thing to do as well. She's asked them to remove from our system the offer of any prizes or awards denied to any student because of color or race. She does not want to be in it if they're going to deny it to a student because of what they look like, which I think is a very brave thing to do. I agree. I think that is very, like, brave for Mr. Shane. I think it really does go to show just how much the people of the school actually did accept her fully. So it wasn't just, like, a false, like, little pretense from Ms. Shea being like, oh, she has to support her because she's her student. But I think Ms. O'Shea really does support her because because she is her student, she feels this deep connection with her. It's not just a duty or obligation to Ms. O'Shea, but it really is, like, her job that she loves doing. Yes, and she wants to fight for her students no matter what they look like. It's not just because it's a black student or a white student. She would have done it for any student. Exactly. I think it's cool to see that the whole school does, like, support her because we get the art teacher supporting her and it feels like the students don't have any rude sentiment to her. It makes the fall that much more devastating to Nancy because she really did feel accepted and supported at her school and she really was. Like, she actually, like, genuinely had the support of her schoolmates and her, like, teachers and her principal, but the people of the community just didn't have that same support for her. And I think if we, there would have been students that didn't support her, Hughes would have put that in here like he would have made sure we knew that people didn't support her but since we see the teachers and the like vice principal supporting her we're supposed to assume that they all do i agree i think that's supposed to be the point like the omission is the uh, unexistence in this case so i think there's a really interesting comparison that nancy makes later on and i think this goes again to show the poetic nature of it I'm going to read a paragraph from it. It says, Miss O'Shea stood against the open window with the green lawn and the tulips beyond. The sunlight tangled in her gray hair, her voice an electric flow of strength to the hurt spirit of Nancy Lee. The abolitionist who believed in freedom when there was slavery must have been like that. The first white teachers who went into the deep south to teach the freed slaves must have been like that. All those who stood against ignorance, narrowness, hate, and mud on stars must be like that. And the mud on stars thing is very interesting, too, to show that them dirtying the American flag was not okay with everyone. That not every white person was out to get the black people of the South or anything else. They were there to help them. They wanted to raise up every human in America. I just think that's a very beautiful paragraph. It's very poetic in nature. Just comparing the backdrop to of the open window, it kind of compares it to her painting earlier where it's a green lawn and you see the sunlight and the woman standing in the foreground. Well, and that kind of also sets the tone for the end of the story which is surprisingly hopeful for what just happened to Nancy. She kind of goes on to say that I will do this, like, she, like this will not keep me down. There will be other awards, she thinks. She just, she instantly looks to the future, which I think is amazing, just to have that kind of resolve, to have that willpower to say, oh, well, that definitely blows, but I'm just going to keep doing it. Like, we're just going to keep moving forward, you know, like, from the Disney movie, that's um, Meet the Robinsons, but whatever. And that's just, it really does show, like, her hopefulness, and I think that is a really amazing trait for her to have in this situation, especially. And she wants to be the forefront of it. She says, I'll fight to see that these things don't happen to other girls as this has happened to me. She is resolved to fight for rights and everything else, not just for herself, but for the girls and men and women, she actually says, just pulling behind her. 
And it's also, I think, important to note that she says, and men and women like Miss O'Shea will help me. So she she knows she can't do it on her own, and but she also like kind of just expects there will be people to help her, and I think that is just great that she has that kind of support at her school that she expects it to be there in the future, and she doesn't expect the same kind of support from Miss O'Shea. She says men and women like Miss O'Shea, so she does like just kind of expect others to also help her, which is again that kind of hopefulness. I think that's a very optimistic viewpoint. I definitely think it is too, because I think there are some that would say no. There's other group of white people that have smited me. That's going to be like everyone. But no, she sees the good with Miss O'Shea and says there are also good people like her. I think it does end on a very hopeful note. So I think to finish up, I want to talk a little bit about her last thought. She says, that is the land we must make after the Pledge of Allegiance ends with one nation indivisible with liberty and justice for all. That is the land we must make. She is so resolved after this award was taken from her that she knows that they need to push for liberty and justice for all. Well, that that whole phrase is an interesting little paradox because when they wrote that in the Constitution, like, they still owned slaves. So I I just – it obviously wasn't liberty and justice for all. It was liberty and justice for rich white men that owned land. Yeah, women weren't even included in that. Black people weren't included in that. No minority was included in that. It was literally just men that owned land. La- land-owning men were the only people that had liberty and justice. White land-owning men. Yes. Yes. It was not for all. And I think we are still fighting towards liberty and justice for all. Not everyone is equal in this country like the forefathers thought it out to be, even if they didn't think it out to be. They have said liberty and justice for all, and that is not currently happening. So I think Hughes kind of knew that whenever he wrote that, that that is the land we must make. Even in the 1940s, I think he knew it was going to be a long, hard battle for liberty and justice for all. But I think it's important to note that the, we still have that hopefulness in this last line. So that that is the land we must make. Like, it's not like a hope. It's kind of like an affirmation almost in my mind. She's thinking it into existence. She's trying to manifest that this is the land we must make. It goes beyond hopefulness to me. It's like something stronger than hope. It's like it's going to happen. It's just, it's just going to take time. I agree. I think it's a very beautiful line. It's a very beautiful ending to kind of a like topsy-turvy story where it starts off we're hopeful and then she kind of loses it, but she still has hope and she knows the future will be better. Well, listeners, we'll help you reach out with your thoughts on One Friday Morning by Langston Hughes. We will also have some links below to check out for Black History Month. We hope you'll join us next time as well as we discuss Everyday Use by Alice Walker. Analytical is created, hosted, and produced by Hannah and John Newland. It is edited by John Newland. The artwork was created by Hannah Newland using Logo Maker and is owned by Hannah and John Newland. The theme music you're jamming to now is created by John Bartman, and you can check out more of his work at his website, johnbartman.com. Web design is by Hannah Newland, and you can find us at analyticalpod.wixsite.com slash analytical. And you can find that link in the description. All our social pages are at analyticalpod, and you can email us at analyticalpod at gmail.com to reach out and discuss your thoughts on this episode, to chat about literature, or life. Please rate and review us and subscribe to our podcast. And tell your friends. It will help other people find and enjoy as well.